Uh, so we are recording. Um, and so um, if you can, if you can pr pronounce your first name, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to butcher it. Um, <laughs> but if you could pronounce it for me, I, that would be okay. great. So it's Shondalyn. So think Shondalyn. about violin and put a Shonda in front of it. So it's okay. Shondalyn. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Shondalyn. Uh, well, I'm gonna call you Dr. Hendricks uh, okay. while you're here. Uh, and so um, this is, uh, I want to say maybe episode six, episode six of uh, the Hustle Responsibly podcast. Uh, we have been away for some time. Um, just with everything going on outside, uh, the pandemic, just a lot of emotions and just just a, a lot of different stuff happening. Um, we are transitioning into this virtual setting where here we are uh, via Zoom, um, but I do have a very, very special guest um, with me this evening, uh, Dr. Hendricks. Uh, and so I won't um, share too much, but I will say that she has um, a very busy schedule because she has uh, an upcoming election that she is uh, in the running for. Um, but with no further ado, I want to welcome uh, Dr. Hendricks to the Hustle Responsibly platform. Normally we'll have like some Excellent. round of applause or something like that going on. But uh, if you can just kind of take a little time and kind of introduce yourself um, and yeah, like why, why are you, why, why are we here today? So I am from Decatur, Illinois. It's a small rural town in Southern Illinois. And my family moved to Milwaukee when I was 14 years old, when my dad was appointed by the Board of Bishops to pastor the Church Living God. So I'm a preacher's kid. I graduated from NPS and I'm married and I'm the mother of two children, Barbara, who's gifted and talented and Brandon, who has severe multiple disabilities. So when I attended my son's first IEP meeting, I was uneducated. I didn't understand anything about the acronyms or anything about IDEA, none of that. And so I felt talked down to. As a result of this experience, I decided to enter the field of education. As a single mother on welfare, I earned an associate degree in human services with honors from Milwaukee Area Technical College while employed as a K-3 and K-4 handicapped child assistant a bachelor's degree in human services from Springfield College and graduated valedictorian while serving as a first and second grade paraprofessional. Patty Poplinski, who was a teacher's classroom to whom I was assigned was the one who actually encouraged me to pursue my teacher's license. And that altered the life of myself and my child, my children dramatically. I earned a master's degree in education from Cardinal Stritch University while working as a fourth and fifth and sixth third, fourth, and fifth grade no, third, fourth, and fifth grade special education teacher, an ed specialist degree from National Lewis University while serving as a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade special education teacher. I've also served as a central office administrator, assistant principal, principal, and then I earned my doctorate degree from National Lewis University while serving as district administrator and regional director. And I did all of this as a single parent while going to school and working full time. I then established a nonprofit that provides housing for adults with disabilities and the homeless before serving at DPI as the Assistant Director of Teacher Education, Professional Development and Licensing and the Director of the Wisconsin Education Opportunity Program. 
While serving at DPI under the then state superintendent, Tony Evers, um, I had formed a very good relationship with him and with all of the elected officials. Once Evers won the election, he appointed me as a member of his senior leadership team and director of the Milwaukee office. As such, I directed him and advised him on aspects related to policy, law and funding allocations, particularly the CARES dollars after the pandemic. As a director, I represented the governor at public settings when he wasn't available and I spoke on behalf of him. I met with elected officials, leaders of industries and constituents to keep a pulse on what was going on in Milwaukee so that I could make sure that I collaborated with the Madison office to meet the needs and the voices of Milwaukee. I learned about the challenges of getting people who had polarized ideas at the table and to consensus on issues that were more important than party lines. I developed relationships and cultivated new as well as old relationships I had at DPI. But while working at DPI, I observed how other state agencies were navigating during the pandemic and were in, engaging in collaboration with the governor, but I didn't see this with DPI. So the educator and me became increasingly concerned about our districts, our schools, our teachers, our parents, and our students. The achievement gap has been persistent dating back to when I was a teacher. And I believe that at this point in my life, I have the knowledge, skills, and disposition to alter the national narrative of Wisconsin's educational system. My experience at the office of the governor, no doubt, was a professional experience that led me to politics. Okay, thank you. Uh, I, was, I was actually like, I was trying to figure out a way to like, I guess work backwards and get everything that you just kind of explained. Um, and so now, you know, I have a, um, I have the opportunity. I, I work at Bradley Tech High School, uh, and so I work with young people. And uh, uh, when I'm trying to describe like my my role, it's always like I always kind of like stop and be like, well, maybe I got to explain it a little differently, right? Like, and I I do that, and I I try to be really intentional about how how I explain my role to students because I want them to understand how how big the world of education is right like it's 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 more than just being a classroom teacher um and so like you being able to share like the different um uh i guess vantage points that you were able to have uh in this world of education i think is like super super important uh and so thank you for sharing that piece um and so you are currently running for state superintendent yes all right, uh, and so like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little transparent, right? Um, like, what what is that, right? Like, I know I understand what it is by title, but like, what are you know you attempting to be responsible for um, with with this seat? So the state superintendent is the top educator in Wisconsin. This person is responsible for overseeing all of the public charter choice schools, and the library systems. So when property taxes are collected, that revenue is sent to the state. And DPI, which is an agency that the state superintendent oversees, 
funnels those those dollars back to cities, back to towns, back to suburbs, back to rural areas by way of their schools. In addition to that, the state superintendent receives federal dollars from the federal government by way of what's called Title I. And, and Title I is for instruction for students who live in poverty. Title II is funding for parent involvement. Title III is funding for students for which English language is their second language, English language learners, and also IDEA funds, which is the money that's used to support students with disabilities. So the state superintendent is responsible for all of this money and making sure that it gets back to schools so that education can happen. So that there are school buildings, there's buses, there's curriculum, there's teachers, there's standards, there's everything that has to do with education. The state superintendent is responsible for making sure that that happens for Wisconsin. Okay. Okay. Um, I keep going off track, um, but I, I just, I'm, I'm getting more questions for you as, as you, as you're speaking. Um, and so at, when you were describing that, two things kind of came to mind right away, um, you know, just being in Wisconsin, right? Um, and so you're responsible for, you know, what, what, what that picture looks like for all of Wisconsin. And I will say like, I am, um, not well versed on what 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 education looks like outside of Milwaukee. Um, and just, you know, when it comes to uh, like students of color, for the most part, like we're looking at like the Racine, Milwaukee, uh, just southeastern Wisconsin areas. And so like, how do you, I guess, how do you take into account, you know, the 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 difference, right, of what may work in southeastern Wisconsin, uh, or what may be needed in southeastern Wisconsin, as opposed to what may be needed in like a rural rural area up north, uh, or some of the the, the different districts um, outside of Milwaukee County. That's a very good question, and it's simple. It's simpler than it seems. So, at the end of the day. The state superintendent is making sure that Wisconsin students receive a well-rounded education. That's in Wisconsin's constitution. Um, unfortunately, um, based on not what I'm saying, but based on a Supreme Court case that was argued entitled Vincent versus Voigt, they found that the state of Wisconsin was negligent in providing a well-rounded education for students who live in poverty students who are English language learners and students with disabilities. And as we dig deeper to try to figure out why is this prevalent, like you said, mostly in Southeastern Wisconsin, we find that also when it comes to students living in poverty, that happens in rural Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is difficult for some people to understand because really, in all honesty, the education, you have to excuse me, I'm kind of tired, but I'm, I'm gonna get through this. The education that a child receives in the state of in the state of Wisconsin can be predicted according to the student zip code, because the state gets money from property taxes, and if a student lives in a zip code where the houses high have a higher value, then the resources that go back to that community is are much higher than the resources for a student who lives in a neighborhood where the property values are lower. And so that's why you see a difference in the, the way school buildings look, 
the difference in the textbooks, the difference in the services that are provided. You see differences in the teachers and all of that because funding is not equitably distributed. And the way that a state superintendent finds out what is needed um, and what I bring to this table is I grew up in a rural area and I went to school for 14 years of my life in a rural area. So I have experience of what it feels like to live in a rural area. I know what rural Wisconsin needs based on my personal experience, as well as collaborate with other people who live in rural areas. At the same time, I've been in Milwaukee generally since I was 14. I lived in, in Madison and Oshkosh for a little while, but in Milwaukee for the vast majority of the time. So I know firsthand what's needed in Milwaukee, not only as someone who lived here, but someone who has been an educator here. So what it is, is a delicate balance of making sure that funds are, are equitably distributed. Where funds are not needed that much, you don't send extra dollars there. You send dollars where they're needed most, like what the Supreme Court Justice said in that case. More money needs to go where there are more students living in poverty, where there are more students who receive special education services, and where there are more students who have English language learners. But right now, the state is not doing that. So that's why you see the fact that our schools in certain zip codes and in certain neighborhoods are not operating as efficiently, not because of the teacher or the students or the parents or the principal, and not even because of the school district, because funding in Wisconsin is not distributed correctly. As state superintendent, I am going to change that. And that's why it's very important that people vote because historically we've had state superintendents that come from rural areas and it's no hit to them. But there's something to be said about the old cliche. If you don't, if you haven't been there, you don't understand. So that's why it's very important that we have a state superintendent who has had a lot of experience in different areas and who have, has already worked in those areas. So when I was at DPI, part of my responsibility was working throughout the state, including the rural areas. And that's what I bring to the table that the other candidates don't bring. My experience in rural area, my experience in urban area that equips me with the knowledge and the abilities and the capacity to represent and meet the needs of people who live in those areas. Okay. Um, I, it it kind of bleeds into the next question that I had. You kind of were, um, you know, hinting at some of it, but like, uh, why, why, why does representation, you know, matter so much? Um, and why, why does it, um, why is it important to kind of like show up like your authentic self? Yeah, so as a black person, I have navigated systemic inequity, racism and classism. I've endured microaggressions, macroaggressions and racial battle syndrome. During my journey, I overcame much of what has either purposely or as an unintended consequence been put in place to prevent me from overcoming poverty. We have learned a lot about how one, we have heard a lot of talk about um, equity warriors and people saying that I wanna make sure that students receive a quality education no matter what their zip code. We also hear from people who say that they've done so much for communities of color based on theory and some practice. I don't need theory. I've lived practice. I not only know what inequities look like, I know what they feel like. 
I know what it takes to be to be removed. I know what changes need to occur, what needs to be removed, whether it was put there purposely or as an unintended consequences. Because just as much harm is done to marginalized populations as outright, outright racism. So I can identify racism and unintended consequences of well-meaning people. This is not something that any of the other candidates have experienced in. I'm a black woman, obviously. <laughs> I have struggled with two children while on welfare to achieve and arrive where I am. As the granddaughter of sharecroppers and a first-generation college student, I didn't have another family member with a college degree to call upon to help me navigate higher ed. Like other parents, I wanted my daughter to have a better life and do better than I. So I had to create that example for her. But while I was creating that example for her, I found myself creating an example for other children, my students. And so I understand that to whom much is given, much is required. Melody Hobson said, it is not okay to fall short on diversity. She goes on to say that there has been a lot of try around diversity, but the interesting thing is that in education, we could talk about education equity, and this is the only area where you could talk about something, not make any progress, and still have your job. It's time for new leadership, someone like me, who is ready to create new trajectories and demolish the current ones. It's time to develop a statewide plan to overcome and eliminate the achievement gap. So a lot of times you hear people talking about diversifying the teacher pipeline, and that's very important. That is one of my goals. But a lot of people talk about it because that's the most non-threatening thing to focus on. Mm -hmm. By only focusing on increasing the number of teachers of color, then you never blankly state why a diverse pipeline is so important. Leaders are ignoring the fact that students, parents, and teachers need to be able to see themselves and those in leadership positions. So they could say, I could be that person. Further, for some leaders, even well-meaning equity warriors, it's hard to reconcile between what is best for Wisconsin and are you truly the best for Wisconsin students, families, and teachers. I, as the first African-American woman to seek the state superintendency by an election, is the only candidate of color and the only candidate that will be able to enable diverse students, parents, and teachers the opportunity to see themselves as leading the DPI and providing a means for them to say, I could be that person. Representation matters because some people can't aspire to be what they don't see and they don't understand what it takes to get there, if that makes sense. So not only if I'm, am, am I representing as a female person of color, I am sharing essentially who I am and what I came through to get here for others to know that they can see that it can happen despite systemic barriers. No, that's, yes, that's uh, very deep. Um, I feel like I have a, I have a lot of conversations of, of, about that, right? Like, um, you know, we hear we hear like there's not enough teachers of color, um, but also like I don't, 
you know, there's not a lot of teachers of color that's, you know, you know, signing up. Right. Like, and so like, what, what's that, what's that middle ground? Like, how do we, you know, educate the, the, the staff that we currently do have in front of our young people? Um, and so like, I guess maybe two years ago now, um, we were able to, well, my, my team and I were able to bring uh, Dr. Bettina Love uh, to Milwaukee um, author, uh, we want to do more than survive. Uh, and so she, she often talks about this concept of like abolitionist teaching, uh, and anti-racist, uh, education. And so like, uh, we, we read some of her texts and, and just really started to use that as a foundation of what we were doing. Um, and so like, we just kind of like really buckled down on this concept of like anti-racist education and trying to create anti-racist educators. Uh, and so I want to ask you, when you hear the term anti-racist education, um, what comes to mind for you? So having been um, in the field of education for over 25 years, every few years, there's a new term coined to address systemic oppression and new curriculum and new conversations are ele elevated. So honestly, whatever it's called, it's time to ensure that each student is, enga is, in is engaged and guaranteed the liberty to form opinion and make decisions based on truth and fact, not untruth and fantasy. And this is on my website. And so for me, anti-racist education is about telling the true story. It means that you are telling what really happened, no matter how painful to some it is. And that which is not true, regardless of how endearing it is and how bad we wanna believe it, it's rejected. So students are challenged to question what they read and the narratives they are told as they seek the unadulterated truth and learn from the atrocities from the past not to put blame, but to replace that incorrect thinking and to prevent repetition. Nice. Um, so my 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 mother is actually an educator too. So she was uh she was in NPS for like thirty some years, and um, now that I'm you know in the space that I'm in now, like we we talk about. We, we just talk about education a lot. We talk about, uh, and this is something that she always brings to my attention too. Like, you know, well, we used to call it this back in the day, or, you know, we called it that. Um, but but uh, it seems to be like a consistent thing, right? Like we, however you all want to label it, we know, you know, these inequities exist and we know that there's like red tape and like bureaucratic stuff in our way uh, sometimes that don't allow us to get to the nitty gritty. Uh, and so like, I, I just, I appreciate your, your perspective. Um, and so like another thing that was coming out of some of the, 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 you know, the works that we were looking into, um, is also like this concept of black joy. Um, and you know, how often do we see it in schools, uh, or, you know, I guess the, the, the reality that is, is not as prevalent as we would like it to be within school. So like, um, I want to ask you to kind of envision or describe, um, you know, black joy, 
what that means to you. And if you can share a story either that you had either as a when you were an educator or as a student um, that you had where you where you were realizing, you know, this this black joy that that is around you. So I'm going to be totally honest. Um, this has been the hardest question posed to me in my entire campaign, <laughs> including debates. And I was perplexed because people of color have to work so hard to experience joy. So I actually Googled this <laughs> and it said that black joy means living your best life despite living in a racist world set up against your very being. So then I immediately I thought about that song Smile by Little Duvall that has a few lyrics that stick out to me. I'm living my best life. And if you're breathing, you're achieving. I'm sure you've heard of that song, right? So as I attempted to describe what it means to me, I want you to envision me as a single mother receiving $617 a month. And my rent is $550 and I have two children. In a way, metaphorically, sometimes the only achievement that I had was my ability to breathe. Like in that song, when I felt like I was drowning in a sea of poverty and despair. At other times, as I attained my education and experience, there were times I felt like I was trying to climb that career ladder. And metaphorically, I was climbing up a mountain as an avalanche was coming down on me. Even though then I had a little more money, I still felt stuck in a system that wasn't welcoming to me because of my race. So with that said, black joy is my ability to use my relentless drive to make power moves and achieve results despite dot, 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 despite racism, despite, despite classism, despite segregation, despite all of that. So essentially my ability to run for state superintendent Despite that, even though I have equal and sometimes in cases superior education, knowledge, experience, and, and skills, there are those who do not believe that I'm qualified because I'm a black woman, but I run anyway, because this is bigger than me. This goes back to our conversation about representation, right? So my first experience of black joy was when I earned my doctorate degree. I was not eight, nine, 10, 18, 20, 30. I was 40 years old before I experienced my black joy. A wise woman who was one of my mentors told me something that I carry with me every day. My doctorate degree is not just a piece of paper or title. It's part of my DNA. In the black community, once upon a time, we rendered high respects to persons who attended, who attained a high school diploma because that didn't happen frequently. And as time went on, the attainment of a high school diploma became part of our DNA as more people in our community attained high school diplomas. So then we rendered respect to persons who attained a bachelor's or a master's degree. As time went on, the attainment 
of a bachelor's or master's degree became part of our DNA as more people in our community attain those degrees. Now we render high respect to persons who attain a doctorate degree as evident by you calling me Dr. Hendricks and not Miss Hendricks and not Shondalyn. And as much as only 2% of the population hold doctorate degrees, it still becomes part of the DNA of the person who owns it. My doctorate degree is part of my DNA. So that means my offsprings, my daughter, my granddaughters, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren now have that capacity in their DNA. So I think back to my ancestors from the tribe of Cameroon who came on these shores as slaves. I think back to my great-grandmother and my grandparents who worked as sharecroppers lacking a formal education, not because they didn't want it, but because conditions did not provide them with those opportunities. My black joy occurred when I earned my doctorate degree and figuratively changed the education DNA for my family. That was such a powerful response. Thank you so much. Um, wow. Cause you know, what's funny is I, um, so like this year, like I, I, I show up, to, well, not show up physically, but like I, I've, I've attended um, a number of school board meetings, right? And you know they use Robert Rules of Order, and and it always used to like it, I ain't gonna lie, it just made me cringe all the time how everybody just referred to you know one another by by like their title, right? Like Doctor this or you know, and I I never understood it, you know, for whatever reason, and you know when you just said what you just said, I'm like, you know, I, I almost want to apologize for even thinking the thoughts when I'm listening to these meetings, like, oh, why do they got to, you know, talk to each other like that or refer to each other like that? But like, that makes so much sense now, you know? Um, and so I appreciate you like humbling me for, in, in, in that response. Um, wow yeah is that, yeah again to the to, again to our representation piece like it 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 is that important right like if you if you know like nah like my you know my aunt or this person in my family or somebody that's close to me was able to accomplish this right so now it's it's not too far-fetched it's not you know so far out there um that i feel like i can't attain that same that same level or or surpass it um so yeah, thank you for that perspective uh, so much. Um, you 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 mentioned um, being a single mother a couple of times. Um, I do want to ask you, like, what is your what is your proudest parent moment? Like, what's your proudest moment as a parent? Um, my proud, you know, as a parent, I've had so many moments. I think my proudest moment as a parent was when my daughter, she was in high school, she was a sophomore in high school. And I was, I think I was working on my master's then. And um, she came in the house one day and she said, Mom, I'm going to graduate valedictorian from high school. So you don't have to worry about paying my tuition. Um, because you you struggle so hard. I didn't hide my struggles from my children because there's lessons to be learned from that, right? She said, you struggle so hard and you work so hard, mama, you stay up all night studying. I don't want you to have to worry about me going to college, 
of paying for my college tuition because I'm going to graduate valedictorian. My proudest moment was when she did graduate valedictorian and she earned a full paid scholarship to Marquette University. Nice. Nice. That's yes. wonderful. <laughs> um, what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Yeah. So it would be, it matters not what people think about you. It matters what you know about yourself. So I struggled to find essentially who I am for a long time who I am from the way I walk, the way I talk, my style, my swag, to how I wear my hair. I just really struggle. And I engaged in a process of self-discovery that led to the development of my personal leadership statement. I decided that I would spend the rest of my life fulfilling that statement, whether or not I was in a leadership position. Doing so gave me greater clarity as it relates to which opportunities to pursue and a sense of accomplishment when I began to see the positive effects of me impacting others through working my personal leadership statement. And my personal leadership statement is the same today, and I'm carrying this into the campaign and to DPI. It is, I will use my relentless drive to leverage change by any means necessary toward the goal of creating equitable opportunities. Okay. How, how long has that been in the making? Like, How long did it uh, take you to develop that? that uh, I was well into my adulthood. I probably would say I might've been around 30 when I started toying around with it. I refined it probably around my 40s when I just really figured out that no matter what I do as an educator, whether I'm a teacher or a principal, um, whether I'm, I'm not working, whether I'm dealing with people at church or people in the community, that this is what's going to guide my actions when I engage with others. Okay. Thank you. Um, got a couple more questions a little earlier you 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 kind of hinted at a mentor that you had and so like in my in my role at tech I am um I'm actually in a position where I, I mentor um I'm the site coordinator for the black and latino male achievement oh, uh, excellent. <laughs> so um for a couple what is this my third year now so for for three years we've we've I've been mentoring. I've been I've been mentoring a group of guys. We got about 30, about 30, 35 guys in the program. Um, and, you know, sometimes I will reflect when I'm talking to, you know, the other coordinators and, and, and the guys from the office. Um, I remember one time uh, Paul Moga, who was a coordinator over at BLMA, um, he asked me one day was like, you know, like who 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 was a mentor that you had when you were growing up? And um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I was just like, oh, I, 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 I don't really have one, you know, I never really had one. And now I'm in the position that I'm in now, right? Like I'm, like I'm, I'm, it's like I'm flying a plane while I'm still trying to piece it together, right? Like, I don't know, because I didn't necessarily have one. Um, 
who who was there for a, a, a long period of time, you know, like I've always had like male figures in my life. Um, but like, we didn't have that official agreement. Like I was, you know, you my mentor, I'm the mentee type of thing. Uh, and so I, sometimes I feel kind of lost, but like, I'm enjoying the process. So I do want to ask you, like, what role does ment did mentorship play for you? Um, and if there was like a person or a, a group of individuals that were like really influential and in like building who you are now, um, can you just kind of shed some light on, on that a little bit? So I have to tell you, I owe so many people for mentoring me. I would not be able to sit here as a candidate for Wisconsin State Superintendent without my village of mentors. I have wonderful parents who taught me everything I needed to know, but my mentors taught me everything I needed to do. So that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Parents provide that parental guidance about what you need to know, but mentors tell you what you need to do. And I cannot even begin to list them, but suffice to say that it was ladies at my church, the Church of Living God, in Decatur, in Chicago, and Wisconsin. The gurus and um, the wise people from the Metropolitan Milwaukee Alliance of Black School Educators, and my current coach, Dr. Onik, who has poured so much into me that at times it's almost overwhelming to know that he believes so much in me and wishes the best for me unconditionally. So when along this journey of life, you need someone who holds unconditional positive regard for you and your future, because just knowing that someone believes in you and is, account, is counting on you to succeed is what one needs in one's lowest points. Because you are accountable to a mentor and you don't want to let that person down by having that person in your life. You have their own personal motivator as well as an accountability agent. So this is one of the reasons why in my Bill of Rights for Students, I have actually written that every student will have a mentor. And I don't know if you have a mentor because I heard you talk, but if you don't, I could connect you to someone or I can become your mentor because it is just that very important. I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to follow up with you for sure. Uh, Dr. Onik, actually, he was my, he was my middle school principal. Uh, <laughs> when I, I went to Morris when he was over there and uh, I, I ran into him a couple of times since then. Uh, I actually ran into him last year. So like, it's always good to see him. Uh, I love Dr. Onik for sure. Yes. Uh, Okay, uh, I got. Okay, I got a true or false question for you. Okay. Um, true or false? Learning is a lifelong responsibility. True. Can you share share a little bit more? Absolutely. So a lot of people feel like once you get your doctorate degree, it's called a terminal degree, and that you don't have to do anything else. But whenever you learn, you only learn about the body of knowledge that's available at that particular time. So if I stopped learning when I earned my doctorate degree, I would still be operating off of research and best practices for so many years ago that it would not be applicable to make me competitive in this race. So whether it's um, taking another class and I've taken other courses, whether it's engaging in professional development through a conference, and I'm actually attending one online tomorrow about equity and educational funding, 
whether it's signing up for a seminar, whether it's reading a book, every person has their own responsibility to engage in learning for the entirety of their life until the day they die. Thank you so much. Because, um, And so I ask that question because every time, uh, and this is especially like with my seniors that I'm dealing with, um, you know, that that finish line is in 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 their grasp right like and they ready to clock out for whatever reason they put in whatever i get it i totally get it i've been there too um but then it's like i I always hear this like man i just i'm almost done or i got all my credits like i don't need to go no more Uh, um and i'm always like looking at different ways to like explain that right like it's it's not over once you you know, leave one building, right? Like you're gonna, you're still gonna go into another building, or you're gonna go into another, uh, you know, um, uh, profession, and, and you know, it, it starts all over, right? Like the process starts all over, uh, and so thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I, I'm gonna say I got one more question, right? So like, platform hustle responsibly. Uh, my personal thing is, um, you know, hustle for me is like it's just a, a a different way to say effort, right? Um, and so I always, you know, everywhere I go, I just say hustle responsibly because like whatever it is that you're doing, um, you know, give it your all and, you know, do it responsibly because we know like the same things that can be our gifts can also be our curses. And so uh, that's just kind of a motto that I carry with myself. Um, but I, I do ask uh, all my guests and everybody that I have on this platform, to, you know, just what's your definition of hustle? Like, how do you define hustle? (laughs) It's funny you should ask me that. (laughs) So, you know, I believe that one needs multiple streams of income to make it in society right now. That one paycheck or one job is not gonna do it. You have to have what I call a hustle. And what that hustle, of course, it needs to be legal. I'm just going to say that officially. But that hustle should be whatever it is that wakes you up in the morning and gives you that fire in your heart that makes you want to jump out of the bed. Whatever it is that you're dreaming about when you're asleep, you need to let that materialize to a way that it becomes part of what you do and who you are. And it brings you in another stream of income. So I talked about when I had finished working as a regional director, I opened up a nonprofit for adults with disabilities. Did I tell you about that or no? I may not have. (laughs) So um, when I worked and I finished, I was working as a regional director and decided to try to find housing for my son who's disabled because most of the time children with disabilities live live with their parent until the parent dies. And then the family has to figure out who's gonna take care of the kid. And so I didn't want that for my son. So I began looking for housing for my son here in Milwaukee. Could not find a group home that I liked. So meeting the needs of children with disabilities, having been a special education, this was something in my heart. And I kept dreaming about group homes. So I started a nonprofit called Project Hope Incorporated. And our nonprofit provides housing for adults with disabilities and also housing for those who are homeless or at risk for becoming homeless. That's my hustle. 
And right now, my daughter that I told you about, she graduated with a bachelor's from Marquette. She graduated with her master's in business from Concordia. She is now the CEO. So my hustle guaranteed my daughter a career in her own business. So when we say hustle responsibility, when you say hustle responsibly, that means find your passion that not only fulfills an unmet need you have, but a need that the community needs as well, because that's how we're gonna lift our community. Project Hope helps the community. So it's not just about another stream of income, it's about adding value to Milwaukee's community, particularly the north side of Milwaukee, which is where I live. Okay, okay. Well, Dr. Hendricks, I know you had, a. a it's a campaign trail for you. Um, you're putting in 15, 16 hour days. Uh, I know we can probably talk for, for, for far much longer than this, um, but I am going to let you go. Um, but before you do that, um, if you could just uh, tell folks where to get in contact with you, uh, where they can see uh, a little bit more of, of, of your platform that you're running on, um, more information about your student bill of rights and all of that good stuff. Uh, where could they go? Where can they keep up with you? Excellent. So I have a website, www.drhendricksforeducation.com. I have a Facebook page at Dr. Hendricks for Education, all spelled out. Um, and then I have a Twitter and it's Dr. Hendricks, the number four ED. Um, on my website, you'll see my platform. You see my Bill of Rights for Students. There's an opportunity if you want to reach me to click the contact us button and send me an email with your ad with your email or your telephone number for me to contact you back if you want to join my campaign. It's still not too late, and so that those are the three places that you can really keep up track of what we're doing. Okay, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Um, and that's all we got. Hustle responsibly. We're signing off. We'll see you all next time.